Generations talking about my sports generations. We're back. It seems like every time we do these from week to week, it seems like there's a lot of time that's actually more than just a week. But I am Jonathan. I'm Steve. And today we're going to talk about expansion. And I was thinking about it today and I was watching the playoffs for baseball the other day and watching the Miami Marlins, formerly the Florida Marlins, the Tampa Bay Rays. And I was just thinking of how we almost take for granted the teams that we have in each of the major sports leagues, but also it's very interesting how we got there and how we got there was between both your and my lifetime. And I think there's two very big events that happened both during your and my lifetime of which I was too young to remember. And I'm not trying to to date you here, Steve, but you were very much, you know, an avid fan during the merger of the AFL and the NFL, and then again with the NBA and the ABA. Well, that's true, and I I remember vividly the the first two Super Bowls, sixty seven and sixty eight, with Vince Lombardi's Packers, and and the consensus of opinion in the paper and people was the games weren't very good because the AFL was not a very was not real football and. Guys in the NFL referred to two-hand touch, and just it was it was it was considered a lesser entity, which of course turned out to be completely untrue, and and the myth was broken in 1969. I I was a, actually a, a Colts fan. I liked I liked Johnny Unitas, although he he didn't play much that year. Earl Morrow was the quarterback. I think he was actually the MVP of the year. But the Colts were a fun team to watch. I liked them a lot, and they were you know a huge huge favorite over the Jets, and the Jets were. Not considered a very good team. They had this, you know, brash young guy from Alabama, Joe Namath, and they threw the ball. But, you know, late when the dust settled, 16-7 Jets, but the Jets beat them physically. A, a little known fact is Buddy Ryan, the, the Eagles old coach and the Bears assistant coach, was an assistant coach with the Jets. And they outmuscled them. They had Matt Snell and Emerson Boozer, and they ran it down their throat. Namath actually had a pretty mediocre game. So that ended the myth, and... Coincidentally, in 1970, the leagues merged. But yeah, I, I I vividly remember the AFL, and I also vividly remember the ABA. And it, it's funny how decades and decades later, it's just it's just accepted that these teams, you know, I mean, Denver, look, Denver Nuggets won won it all, and they are one of the four ABA teams that that merged. And it's just they they you know they had Dan Issel, they they had a really they had some real good players, David Thompson, but. What's interesting is that, uh, you know, the this expansion thing now is largely forgotten and it's it, it's just a business maneuver to maximize the profits in, in these sporting events. But what you really get is you get a lot more players the opportunity to play. You get a lot more fans the opportunity to watch because, you know, there are these, there are these cities. I mean, San Antonio. San Antonio was, was an APA team. You know, they, they're not a very big city. They're you know, the third or fourth biggest city in Texas. And all of a sudden they're they're in part of the NBA community. And and of course with Popovich, they've they've probably turned into one of the best franchises of all time. And it's it's kind of funny because I was going back and looking, just getting the dates and looking everything up. And one of the things that I learned, which doesn't surprise me, but Lamar Hunt. So he's one of those guys at the very beginning of the AFL. He would become chairman and owner of the Kansas City Chiefs. But originally, he wanted to buy an NFL team, and he couldn't get in. And so that was kind of the genesis, if you will, of the AFL. And he would create the Dallas Texans. And no surprise here, Hunt comes from old school oil money like <laughs> and what he ended up doing was he ended up recruiting these seven other owners that were significantly more wealthy than the NFL owners and it was strategically done knowing that they were going to take some heavy losses in the beginning and just reading some of those 
uh, kind of pieces on how we got to where we got. And, you know, obviously Al Davis, co-owner at the time of the Raiders, became commissioner of the AFL. And then just the bargaining that was made when they merged. And then you just mentioned it. You were watching at that time the Baltimore Colts, not the Indianapolis Colts, but the Baltimore Colts. You remember watching them on television and you were living in, you know, basically the Los Angeles market. The NFL had a huge advantage over the AFL because, you know, they had these TV rights. And with the TV rights, you know, they couldn't televise the AFL in certain markets. And I'm assuming you weren't able to watch any of the AFL teams. Is that correct? Yeah, no, we couldn't we couldn't see anyone on, on TV. We had no idea how they played. We just would read about them and they didn't they didn't even get that great of coverage in in the LA Times, the Long Beach Press Telegram. But what you're saying is completely correct. And the other factor is, I remember back in the day, they had dual drafts. So the AFL would have their draft of college guys, NFL would have their draft. And, you know, hey, highest bidder wins. And you're right. The AFL owners were significantly wealthier than NFL owners. They were strategic in the sense they were willing to ride it out and take losses initially. And and they figured they could just outlast the NFL. And they, they were completely right. But that was back in the day when you could be you could be drafted, you know, by by the Kansas City Chiefs and also by the Chicago Bears. And of course, you know, a bidding war ensues. And that's the last time, you know, the NFL owners and, and it's and it's remains true today, even though now they're all oligarchs, billionaires. I mean, they they do not like doling out money and they they want to pay as little as they can for their talent. And if, you know, I'm being offered 30 grand by by one team, the AFL says, we'll double it to 60 grand. It's a big deal. And and the AFL is buying a lot of players. And the NFL, I think, you know, they saw the writing on the wall. I don't, I don't know if they're pressy enough to know that, you know, it was going to be this monster hit. But I think they did it for survival. I think they did it. Also, it's kind of the, you know, crazy man uh, way of leading. I, I think they're scared of Al Davis. They they knew he would take no prisoners and fight to the bitter end. And if he had to, he'd burn it all down. So yeah, they, they, the, the NFL was the people who came up with the merger. The NFL was the people who capitulated and said, yeah, let, let's figure out a way we can all survive. And, you know, it's it's been a unparalleled success. Well, and the, the prize of those bidding wars was the aforementioned Namath. They gave Namath a $472,000 contract as he's coming out of Alabama in, what's that, 1968, 1969, something like that. So this guy's getting a half a million dollar contract to come to the AFL at that point in time. You know, you see Joe Namath now, and, you know, he's kind of a caricature of himself. But if you go back to those times in New York and he's wearing the furs and, and, you know, rolling like he's got money. Cause the guy did, I mean, this guy instantly became the superstar athlete from directly just this bidding war for him to come into the league. It's insane. And and going back and reading it, it's like, I kind of knew some of the history, but then you just read some <laughs> of these specifics and it's like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. It's just kind of crazy. And, and, we take it for granted that here we are today and what things look like and, you know, how, you know, the wild card for baseball, you know, I was learning new things just this past week on how the, you know, the new format for, for the wild card is. And I was like, Oh, wow. I, I didn't know that. That was all new information to me. And to think back in 1993, when the giants won over a hundred games, they didn't even make the playoffs. Well, I mean, I, I think, I think we this this is what we talk about a lot, you know the the med, the meddling or the the mingling of sports and business, and you know even though to us fans it's a sport and and it's fun to watch you can live and die with your favorite team, you know to the owners it, it's a business and you know one one of the things about business obviously is expansion. I mean I I know almost nothing about business but I do know that businesses want to keep expanding to get bigger and bigger and you know. I, I think the first question for expansion is, is are there enough players to go around? And certainly there are enough good basketball players and football players to, to fill rosters. Then you got the question of, you know, cities and are, are there, are there cities that can have 
the type of facilities that that we want. You know, can they build a stadium? Can they you know draw fans, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, the ABA, which was an interesting group of people, and you know, some some phenomenal players, obviously led led by you know Dr. J and you know George McGinnis and Artis Gilmore, but um, and, and and too many others to even mention. But you know they played in these in these some really funky little places. I mean you know the the Kentucky Colonels, the St. Louis Spirit. It it, it was funky, and and they they and I think Pittsburgh even that team because Connie Hawkins I think was on Pittsburgh, and they they won an ABA title with Connie with the Hawk. But you know the NBA didn't want to kind of sully themselves by getting all this stuff, so they cut a deal. I'm pretty sure only four teams made it. I think it was the Nuggets, the Nets, and the other teams are escaping me for whatever reason Pacers oh, and, and san antonio Stars. yeah so you know they, they they got decent cities and and they did their thing although you know denver you know denver as a sports town i mean i guess it's a big time sports town now back then it, it was was not considered a big sports town certainly indianapolis was not considered a big sports town but the rosters these guys had the players i mean you know the the, the guys who played in the aba were really really good and Getting back to your point about um, visibility and contracts, I mean, you know, no one saw Dr. J. He was just this, he was just this myth. He was like this urban legend, like, oh, my God, there's this guy named Dr. J who's got this huge fro, and he dunks like no one's ever seen. And, you know, back then, you 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 were lucky to even get a snippet of him playing. I remember the first time I saw him jam, I was like, oh, my God, the this guy's amazing. And then, of course, he seamlessly went into the NBA and dominated the NBA because that's how good he was. And, and a lot of those guys um, did not miss a beat. They went from the ABA to the NBA, and they were solid, solid, you know, whether it's Maurice Lucas or Artis Gilmore or Dan Issel or any of these guys. They could play. It didn't matter what league it was. didn't matter where it was. They were players, and they they made the NBA a considerably better product. There's, there's no question about. It. Now that was another very, very shrewd business move by whomever it was in the NBA that that decided that you know we can't keep jacking with the ABA, even though they had funny basketballs, they took three point shots, and they they're a little wilder, but you know deep down they had guys who could really play. So you mentioned the business piece, and in business, you know often if you're able to do it doing organic growth is, I don't want to say the best, but if you ask a lot of CEOs, you know, what type of growth do you want? Having organic growth is, you know, let's say I have 10 locations and I'm able to increase my revenue and my profit across those 10 locations organically, meaning I don't open up a new location. I'm just selling more things, delivering more things through those same, 10 locations that is a boom because now i'm not creating any additional costs uh, you know if i if i grow by 10 percent and i can do that across those 10 locations i'm not you know incurring any other fixed costs by having another you know another building more people in those buildings and all those kinds of things but organic growth, especially double-digit organic growth, is very difficult. It, it requires a very strong strategy. It, it requires, you know, operational excellence. It requires, you know, the ability to service more areas with the same number. And so when you look at a lot of standard businesses, not sports, let's just take Walmart as an example. You know, they grew so big because they grew the number of locations and they were to expand, pun intended, to be able to, to get that growth. And that's all that these leagues were doing. They're just, hey, if I have more people invested in these teams in more cities and now I have more people watching, then I can make, make more money. Let's just look at tomorrow. Tomorrow, Jacksonville Jaguars are going to play their second week in a row in London. And so although it's not expansion, I'm playing games in a totally new market, trying to capture new eyes. And then this week, and this was kind of partially why I was, uh, you know, had proffered this as the topic. But this week you have the whole phenomenon between Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. And almost immediately the NFL is trying to glom on to the stardom of 
Taylor Swift. And it's a form of expansion because getting more women involved in the game and liking the game and understanding the game. So, you know, that has been one of the untapped areas. It's like, okay, we can go to new cities in the NFL. We can have all these different contracts. Well, let's start expanding outside of the NFL. Let's go to Mexico City. Let's go to London. Oh, well, you know, we have a whole nether gender, the, the whole other side of the fence that we haven't really appealed to because we've had some challenges there, especially with behavior and check out, uh, you know, our previous podcast on the law because there's been a lot of different things and how that's happening in all the respective sports leagues. And more and more we have information, whether right or wrong, but more information about some of the private things going on with these athletes. But that's another form of expansion. You know, that's a market expansion. Okay, we're going to appeal to to women. So you got it right there. It's it's a business piece. But for fans, we get the benefit, in theory, by having a team that we can call our own. Well, what's interesting is, and and I'm not going to keep harping on my lack of business knowledge, but just for our listeners, um, you know, my parents are both school teachers. Um, all my family, none of us are entrepreneurs. Uh, my sister eventually became a public school teacher. My brother was a, a public lawyer, and uh, my other brother was a uh, um, involved in another number of businesses, but never on a big level. But I've always been struck by the adage of, you know, pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered. And I don't know how true it is, but, you know, it strikes me that that there's expansion and then there's just full-on greed. Now, I get the idea that 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 the owners of the NFL will say, or, or the NBA, because the NBA wants to go to China and the NBA wants to go all over the place. But I get the idea that there's this market in other places it doesn't really make sense to me to think that you can have a team in in europe but you know i'm I'm not very i'm not a very broad-minded thinker on business levels but i get the idea that you're trying other markets and i i and i i remember being in mexico city and seeing you know low spurs and all, all these all these jerseys in spanish and it, it the nba is really big in mexico and i get that what what bothers me in this we touched on a little bit yesterday is the other way of growth and I, I don't I don't know how you call it in your business terms but this idea of just expanding the schedules and you know the, the NFL owners are really dead set on having like, I think 19 games a year and, and you know they're going to get guys killed but in addition to that just like you know today or I guess it's today yeah today the major league baseball playoffs for a real start but we've had we've had you know half a dozen or more wild card games and and. I don't want to get on my soapbox, but you know these wildcard guys did not deserve to be in the playoffs. That that that's just ludicrous. But it's money. It's it, it's naturally televised. It's doing their thing. Although I guess the game the game in Florida drew the least amount of fans ever. But you know it it it's this insatiable desire to to get bigger. And I get it. I, I get if you're a mom and pop store and you want to make more money. I I'm a hundred percent behind that. But when you're a, a multi level billionaire. You don't really. Jerry Jones does not need more money. He he just doesn't. Neither does Mark Davis. Neither does any of these guys that that the the Cronkies. They don't. And and I think what they're doing is. I mean, I'd be in favor of more expansion teams and and a smaller season. But what they're doing is is they're spend, sending the message loud and clear that the players are just you know fungible. And one gets hurt throw another guy in there and you kind of go from there. So the football games, I mean, it, it, it's too much. They're, they're playing way too many games. So if they want to, if they want to figure out a way to get people in London to watch the game or Brussels or wherever it is, or even better, if they want to say, Hey, we got 50% of the people in the United States who uh, are female and we want to figure out a way for them to enjoy the game. I'm all for that. But I, I do think that there's a difference between expansion, which is fine with me and more games, which is not fine with me. I, I'm I'm very much an advocate of you got enough games. In fact, I I I like the 14 game season. I mean, that's plenty of time to play. And these guys really get get banged up. And the more they get banged up, the worse it is. But you know, it it so kind of gets back to me that that the the subtext of this whole conversation about expansion. There there's expansion and there's greed, and I'm not sure how you how you keep them separate. I'm not going to disagree with you, but I'll throw this out. We're feeding an insatiable hunger. I will tell you this, you know, I I, I didn't watch a, 
Major League Baseball game all year. And I was at a conference in Baltimore this past week, and I saw that the wild card games were on. And I, I sat down at a restaurant and, you know, watched the second half of one playoff game and then the first half of, a, of the next. And they were exciting. They were fun. And, you know, you say those teams didn't belong to be there and we shouldn't have them and, and those kinds of things. Like, say that to the say that to Minnesota, say that to to Minneapolis. Um Say that, you know, Tampa Bay, I think, got a short end of the stick, quite frankly. You know, they got they got bounced and, you know, you, you're supposed to have this home field advantage. And when you only have, you know, 18,000 people or whatever it was show up, that that's that's pretty bad. And I think that's a whole different kind of subject on, on the whys. But I mean, Miami and Philadelphia was exciting. These games were fun. They were exciting. And then when you start talking about and this is where the world is going i mean it's it's so evident you're gonna have a whole new nfl in europe it's gonna be in germany you're gonna have you know london you might have you know four or eight teams that are gonna start and then you're gonna have almost like a european football situation where those teams are gonna end up playing each other for the playoffs and then you're going to have a massive Super Bowl with a winner of North America. And, you know, it's coming. Now, will it happen in your lifetime, in my lifetime? I'm, I'm not sure about that. But if you really, really wanted to expand, I think for the NFL, expand for four teams in North America. And then amongst those four teams, you also create the relegation system. So you play a season and the bottom four get relegated. You expand to four more teams and then those eight teams have their own season and they can even play the other, you know, top level tier teams. They can be part of the schedule, but you're not back into the big leagues until you got to finish number one or number two in that lower league. And you could even, in theory, make it to the Super Bowl, I suppose, if you're one of the eight relegated teams. But it's a much harder path. You have to play more games. You have to, you know, you're going to be a lower seed, whatever it might be. But I think that's a way to do it, to get more teams involved, to expand, you know, organically, although it's not technically organically. But if you're looking at within the market of North America organically. But you're right. We've got... I think a, a blessing and a curse of teams playing in Europe of guys getting hurt, trying to expand to these numbers. But the other problem that we have is there's no shortage of guys at Georgia, Alabama, SC, you know, wherever that are Cal. ready to come in and take. Yeah. A lot of, Cal produces a lot of football, play, uh, NFL players. They don't produce a whole lot of NCAA championships, but yes, You've got no shortage of the next guy that wants to come in and try to grab that slot and grab that salary. Well, that that's the interesting take, and that, that's why you're probably good at your business. Um, I, I can't see the NFL in, in Europe, but you're probably right. But I remember back in the day, and I can't remember if it was Rune, Ar Ar Rune Arledge or um, Don Omar, one of the big, heavy, heavyweights of broadcasting, saying categorically, soccer or football however you want to say will never make in the states and one of the reasons he was saying is because you know there's there's no commercial breaks and but he was just saying that in his opinion american fans wouldn't like it and you know i i realized that messi went to miami and, and the city went bananas and they won the title or whatever but you know by and large a, a a person playing on whether it's the Portland Timbers or the Galaxy, whoever, could walk down the street and, and no one's gonna know them. They 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 are not known. They're 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 average looking people, and that's that's not taking away thing from their athletic ability. It's just that right now the the fandom of the U.S., me included, is not that into it. I I enjoy watching the World Cup. I think the World Cup is is a blast, both both female and male. But um, 
it goes to your point about um, what's it called? Relegation? Relegation, yes. Yeah, relegation. I mean, I didn't learn about relegation until Ted Lasso. And I'm just saying that I, I think I'm an average guy. I'm an average fan. And I think what you're saying shows a lot of, uh, you know, kind of looking down the road and, and having some foresight and vision. I'm not, you know, it, it might be right. I, I don't I don't know if in our lifetimes that'll happen. I, I imagine every owner's, you know, kind of fantasy dream is that is, is that it happens because the, you know, the money will just be phenomenal. But my, it gets back to my point, which is, you know, why do they care? They, they, they've got enough. Why, why, why don't you have a, why don't you take steps to have a better game, a safer game and figure out a way to get more fans involved. But speaking of fans, which is what we are, and I know the team wasn't in the playoffs yet because they don't start today, but you know, Baltimore, I mean, you know, they were a doormat. I think they lost a hundred games, uh, maybe even two seasons ago. And they're in a very difficult division with Tampa, with the Yankees, with the Red Sox, with Toronto. I mean, it's, it's arguably the best division in baseball and a lot of big spenders, a lot of good players. And I think, you know, most people <clears throat> would have thought the Orioles are going to come in dead last and, and they win the division. And I would think, and I think you mentioned this because you were just there, you know, it revitalizes a city and it's fun to see a city completely into a sports team, especially the cities where they've got the, you know, Camden Yards is in a beautiful part of town, right on the harbor. It's got nice shops and restaurants, and you can cruise around, and it's fun. And and you know, from a financial point of view, I'm sure it really bumps up the city. I mean, people are coming to visit, people are spending money, shopkeepers must be happy. And you know, it, it gets back to my point, which is, although sports is 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 a game, it's also business on a lot of different levels. And when it clicks right. You know, it, it's a beautiful thing. But getting back to our topic of, of expansion, you know, some cities are not going to be into it. And you can't just willy-nilly grab a city and say, I mean, like, you know, this, this Vegas baseball thing, I, I do not think is a good idea. And, um, I mean, you know, it's hotter than hell in Vegas all the time. They're talking about a puny little stadium. And I just don't think it's a good idea. Now, is it better than Oakland? Oakland was a train wreck, and you, you're a, you're a longtime A's fan. You went to a bunch of games, but A's it fan. wasn't. Yeah, I hate the A's, but I have been to more A's games than I have been to Giants games. So that's a yeah. Okay, I, I mean, I, you might you might have a love hate relationship, but I'm just saying that it didn't work in Oakland, even though they put very good product out in the field for years and years. But part of expansion is you know you have to be sharp enough to know is it going to work, and um, you know. Baseball in Vegas, I, I don't know. And so, I mean, that's the other question. I don't think there's a question of players. I, I think there are enough good guys walking the street who can play basketball, baseball, and football. The better question is, are there more cities that will support that team? And, I mean, look at something like the Padres. I mean, the Padres are not a long-time franchise. And I think you can make a good argument that San Diego has never really embraced the Padres and, and I, I think the reason why it's San Diego, it, it, it's got a beautiful beach. It's got great weather. There's a lot more things to do in San Diego than go to the ballpark in, in some of these cities. Let's just take your old Royals where it used to be in Kansas city, man. That's a big deal. There's not a lot going on in Kansas city besides the Royals in the summer. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a tricky thing. Right? I'm sure the owners are crunching the numbers and trying to figure out what city can step up and, and join in and, and, if they're running out of cities in the States, yeah, maybe you have a basketball team in Mexico City. Maybe you have a football team in London and 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 Munich and wherever else. I mean, I, I get it. I get the business idea. I just don't know if it'll actually happen. So you just mentioned two of the teams that were part of the 1969 expansion in the Padres and the Kansas City Royals. In 1968, the Kansas City A's moved to Oakland. So you just mentioned them. 69 division that's when the divisions were created before you just had the american league and the national league and everybody fought it out just for those titles and then whoever won the league played in the world series and then in 69 we had the divisions we had the seattle pilots that would last one year before they would become the brewers and then you had les expositions the montreal expos were all 69 but you know, you, 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 there's a lot of pieces there that I think are key of what you just described. So let's let's take the A's as one. I think the A's, what is going on now, 
is basically a more calculated way of what happened to the Seattle Supersonics. So the Seattle Supersonics, for all intents and purposes, and you know, call me cynical, that was just a heist of a team. I mean, it wasn't much different than the Indianapolis Colts when the Colts left Baltimore. You might have might as well have taken the shot of the Mayflower trucks, you know, driving everything from you know Seattle down to Oklahoma City. That was just straight robbery of a franchise. I mean, the, that city supported that team. The team had you know very good seasons. They had just drafted Kevin Durant. I mean, the Sonics were great. The Sonics had had some solid, solid teams. I mean, Jack Sitka, um, Sigma, uh, yeah. Jack Sigma. I'm the. Um, they they were just they were just good players. Dennis Johnson, X-Man. Um, yeah, the Z- Xavier, Lenny they, Wilkins. They were good, and and it's interesting to think that you'd rather have a franchise in Oklahoma City, which you know I, I've been to once. It seems like a nice enough town but you know i'd much rather live in seattle and seems like seattle would be more of a cosmopolitan place that players would like to go even though the northwest is kind of devoid of uh a lot of diversity but um yeah that I, that makes no sense to me and i i don't quite understand and if i was a fan if i was living in seattle i'd be pissed because you, you they deserve to have a basketball franchise so i think what's happening with the a's is that they're basically doing it's almost like a situation from from the movie Major League where they're trying to tank the franchise so that the city hates the team so much that they're not going to fight to keep them. And Oakland is a different is a different place. Um, I've lived in the East Bay for a long time. I grew up in Sacramento. You know, I'm a Raider fan, but a Giants fan. I, I hate the A's, but I don't want to see the A's move. The A's in my opinion, belong in Oakland. And there has been a lot of challenges with the city. And this goes to, you know, your thoughts on greed, and I'm very cynical about this as well, where you have these billionaires and we basically have subsidized their livelihoods by building stadiums for them and giving them massive tax breaks. And these guys reap all the benefits from it. And then it gets sold to these cities as, you know, you're going to get jobs and you're going to generate revenue. But the reality of these things is you get something like with the Rams in St. Louis, where the city gets into these contracts and they're stuck and they're having to supply all these different things for these teams. And, and the city takes it in the shorts and something, sim- you know, Libby Schaff, uh, um, Brown, you've had Mayor Kwan, you know, these mayors of the city of Oakland were like, hey, we're no dummies. We know what you're trying to do here, guys, and you're not going to shaft the city with these kind of costs. And also the other weird thing is the stadium for both, you know, the Warriors and for the A's and the Raiders, that's all county. So it's actually Alameda County. It's not actually the city of Oakland, even though that they reside in the city of Oakland. And so you have these other folks that are in the county going, Hey, wait a minute. We're not going to pay for all this stuff. Like, are you crazy? This is insane. And so you've got this greed that's going on. Let's tank the team. Let's tank everything that's going on. Let's let's even like smear the name of the franchise. And then, oh, by the way, we got these jackasses over here that are willing. I mean, they're carpetbaggers. Let's call it what it is. You know, you've got Vegas that's saying, hey, you know what? Bring us your your dead, your tired, your poor. Because we've got no shortage of money, and oh by the way, we got all this other stuff going on. I find it disgusting, quite frankly. And then we've already seen what's happened by putting a franchise in Vegas with the Raiders. I mean, look at all the crazy stuff that's gone on with the Raiders. And you could say, well, you know, that's a function of the Raiders and not a function of the city, or that's a function of the NFL and not a function of the city. You have young, almost instantaneously wealthy athletes and you put them in a city like that i mean it's going to be combustible i don't know what you were thinking and so to be able to have some we've talked about this before some kind of leadership that's there to be able to help 
make sure that these guys are able to transition. I mean, it's just too hard. And they just can't help themselves. So that's that's a bad situation, in, in my opinion. And whether the city of Vegas is going to support these, you know, these teams or not, I mean, they're all ported in. They're not from there. Go, go to I don't I don't even know if the Raiders are at home tomorrow, but go to Vegas Airport. Go to McCarran. I don't even think it's called McCarran. I think it's uh, Harry Reid now. Go to Harry Reid Airport tonight, and you're going to have an influx of you know I hate to say it, the rest of my fandom of Raider fans they're dumb. And they're like, oh, I'm going to go there and I'm going to spend 800 bucks or whatever it is to go see a game and the time to go for a hotel and all that stuff. And I could be part of this mystique. It's like, you know, the mystique's gone. It hasn't been there. The mystique, this mystique died in 1985 when uh, Howie Long and Matt Millen, you know, we went and looked this up and I forgot who it, but they, you know, they, it wasn't Raymond Berry. You were correct. It was like the general manager oh, knocked him out. A- it was the son Sullivan. of the yeah right son of the owner I think. So they knocked him out, you know, after they lost the AFC Championship game to the to the Patriots. The the mystique's been gone since then. So I'm starting to ramble now, but but yeah, it's like if done right, I think expansion can be great for certain cities. But if done wrong, you leave cities in a lurch. You leave you leave them with a big you know price tag, and then you take advantage of a new city that happens to be dumb enough to let you in. Well, that that's that's kind of my point too, which is which is the one consistent thing about these owners is their greed, and yeah, so they they're they're billionaires, and they, I mean, this is kind of a truism, but the richest people I know are usually the cheapest people I know, and there's a reason for that. They're, they're smart. They they see that. So the these rich owners they get the city to build them a new stadium. They they cut a deal where all the uh, all the luxury boxes go right into their pocket it's just it's just bizarre and and you know it, it will be the downfall of sports at some point probably not for a long while but you know the greed is too much and like i say if they want to try and expand into europe more power to them but playing the more games playing the more games is crazy but i will say you know getting back to what we talked about i mean expansion is 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 good in a lot of ways if, if the city's into it and and it gives you know, a lot more players a chance to to show their wares and, and get a, get a paycheck. But I mean, I remember back in the day, you know, the, I remember the Seattle Pilots. I remember these teams. They used to have expansion drafts, and so teams were allowed to protect X number of players. And the guys they didn't protect were either on their last legs or were untested. So you'd have these expansion teams that were terrible. I mean, and they were going to be terrible free agents. This is also before free agency, so there was basically nowhere for them to go. And and that's just all there was to it. But it was kind of fun. It was kind of interesting. You, you know, guys got a lot of chances. Every now and then there's an old geezer who could, you know, have a good season or two in the end. But but the reality was they, you know, they were going to lose a lot of games. And that was okay because the idea was within, you know, a number of years. But that that's one of the other things. And, you know, the society now is so, I need it right now. I mean, really. Now, I, I can't think of a, a sports team that would say with a straight face, yeah, give me five years and I will have a winner. And, and you know, the fans would say, no, we, we're not giving you five years. We'll give you five games maybe, but not five years. But when you have an expansion team, you basically have to have about five years before you can even begin to get good because also you, you have to start a whole new – you have to start a minor league team. You have to start a whole thing. So it, it, it's really kind of interesting, and, and I like it. But getting back to hoops, getting back to basketball, I mean, that was a, that was a real, real win-win for everybody. And, you know, the remnants of the ABA really changed, I think, basketball in a, in a lot of ways. The ABA, I think, was the first league to have a dunk contest, and they, they were very fan-friendly. But, you know, really, you know, get, you know, getting a guy like Dr. J, I mean, really, I mean, I don't, I don't think people now realize, especially with, you know, now you can see video of a good high school player. But back then, no one knew who Dr. J was. They just didn't know him. They know he's this thin guy with this big afro and these gigantic hands. But boy, you know, I mean, you watched him play. It was it was like another world. I mean, he he could just he could just dunk on anybody, and he usually did dunk on anybody. And he was just he was just a force. And and you know, a lot of those guys. I think Moses Malone played his first couple seasons in the ABA, and they they had 
They had great players. And the end result was there were four more teams in, in the NBA. And there was, you know, there were four teams, I forget, 60 more players. And there's just a lot of real, real good players who who got to got to show their potential. But but you know, the the, the expansion and, and the moving in cities is, is very, very odd and and so much of it is um, not transparent, so you don't really know why these things happen. But getting back to Seattle, yeah, that 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 was a. I mean, I remember distinctly the Lakers used to seemingly always play Seattle in the Western Conference, either finals or semifinals, and invariably Seattle just clocked them. I mean, they were just they were just a better team. That's when I think the front line was Kareem, Adrian Dantley, and Jamal Wilkes. Jamal weighed you know, like 170 pounds. AD was six four. Kareem was never, you know, a great rebounder, and Seattle would just pound the boards, and 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 they they had a real solid team. So yeah, taking a, a franchise like like that with a real good basketball history out out of the city and never coming back, it really seems uh seems wrong. Dale Ellis, Nate McMillan, the glove, Gary Payton, Detlef Schrempf, uh, you know, smooth. Sam Perkins, you know, they had some great players in Seattle, but um, Sam, per- Sam Perkins was on Seattle. I didn't yeah. Know that. Oh. Yeah. He's Way back player. when, you know, he player. was a, he was a maverick and a, uh, you know, before he became a Laker. So 1969, you're right. Most of those teams were terrible, except for the Royals became good fairly quickly and they were fighting the, Yankees and the I think it was what three years in a row four years in a row that they lost to the Yankees in the ALCS until they finally got over on them um I think it's John Mayberry that uh that Whitey Herzog blames because he went out late one night before a game uh before a playoff game and uh Mayberry shows up late like in the second or third inning and Herzog, you know, it's like no way. And he goes into the game, and the, I guess he has an error, and then he strikes out or something late in the game, and, and Herzog blames him. And the very next year, he's gone. They get they get rid of him. But 1969, first year of the Royals. The Royals produce the Rookie of the Year, a 25-year-old outfielder. Do you know who that is? In 1969 on the Royals? I have no 1969 idea. 1969 on the Royals. He would go on to become a manager of the Reds and win a World Series with the Reds. He would manage the Seattle Mariners and take them well into the playoffs. He would manage the Yankees. Lou Pinella? Lou Sweet Pinella. Lou. Sweet yeah. Lou, Rookie of the Year, 1969. And, of course, they would get George Brett. They would have Dennis Leonard. Those, those 70s Royals, you know, you look at the Royals – you know, we talked about the Orioles just a moment ago. The, the the Orioles were probably, hands down, the best American League team, you know, from the mid to late 60s into the early 70s. You know, they only they won the World Series a couple of times, but they were definitely right there at the doorstep many, many times. Lose the 79 World Series and then would win the 83 World Series, and then that's it. The or- Orioles were effectively terrible for what the last 40 41 years i mean they've had fleeting moments with the you know with the with the kid in right field uh with the home run with the yankees um they had you know little bits of of glory here or there but they were terrible but the royals very quickly became good and then also with how the rules changed 1993 at Colorado, Florida. Florida, the Marlins would win a World Series four years later in 97. Arizona becomes a, along with Tampa Bay, becomes an expansion team in 98. And then, of course, Arizona wins the World Series in 2001 and uh, beats the Yankees. So you actually had Florida wins the World Series in 97. Arizona wins the World Series in 2001. Florida wins the World Series again in 2003. And at that point, the Cubs hadn't won since when? The Giants hadn't won since 54. The Clevelands hadn't won since before that. Boston still hadn't won. So you had uh, 
you know, basically three expansion team World Series, and you had several uh, teams, legacy teams, that hadn't won anything. So it's just kind of different on how those drafts are. And then again, like you mentioned, the advent of free agency kind of changes and accelerates, you know, your opportunities as long as you're willing to spend money. But, um, yeah, expansion, I think, if done right, gives a lot of, you know, having a good team or even, a, you know, a competitive team is probably the right way of saying it, brings a lot to the identity of a city. I mean, when the, when the Kings moved to Sacramento from Kansas City, for the 85-86 season, they actually were the last team in the playoffs. And it was a big deal. And they, they got bounced very quickly. I want to say they lost to the Rockets. And then I believe that's the season where the Rockets, uh, where Ralph Sampson has the funky, that weird shot off the backboard and they beat the Lakers to go play the Celtics. And then the Celtics win the championship. But it was a sense of pride of having a team that was, you know, in the playoffs and, you know, at least competitive. And then, of course, they were terrible forever. And then in 2002, they go, you know, to the Western Conference Finals. And it, it brings a lot of, you know, I think there's a lot of positive things that you can have that from having a competitive team. But when these owners milk the cities dry, when they bilk them for, you know, tax breaks or for just straight money, or they don't put back into the city, or they don't put money into the franchise itself, you know, it actually has quite the opposite effect. It drains the city. Well, I remember uh, the first time I went to Denver, and uh, it was in the 80s, and um, they had just swept someone 3-0 in a uh, series to move on. And the city was just a buzz, and the city was just bouncing off the G. walls. This was, yeah, this is in the, probably the mid-80s, and they were just, you know, it was just a big, big deal. And, yeah, they were very proud of their team and, and the whole bit. So, yeah, I mean uh, – it's just hard because you, you would hope that the people in charge of expansion would, would have some sense and not just the the overwhelming greed of making making a little more money. Doug um, Moe. Doug Moe, sure. But I will say that that um, one of the nice things about expansion is you start with a clean slate. I mean, you know, the Cubs and and the Red Sox and the Angels, all these teams, I mean, you know, they've, they've got so many problems that, that – that you know, it's, sometimes you want to say, let's just start over. Well, obviously you can't start over because there's always a few good players you keep them. But you know, when you're an expansion team, you basically are starting from scratch. And you know, in some ways, you'd rather start from scratch and and work your way up as opposed to be this real dysfunctional team. I mean, look at the Angels. I mean, and that really hurts because I'm an Angel fan. That you know, they you couldn't imagine a team being that bad. I mean, they spend the money and everything goes wrong. I mean, I I I remember. I remember vividly uh, a guy named Lyman Bostock. He was on the Twins, and he was one of the first free agents. He went to the Angels, and he was just terrible. And, and then he, he got going better, and he got tragically killed in the middle of the season. But the Angels have a history, just like the Clippers. They have a history of free agents who get hurt, who have shitty years, on and on and on. And it's 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 hard. It's hard to watch. So more power to these franchises. And, and you know, I think that, in my mind at least, I'm, I'm on some level rooting for the Orioles – I know the playoffs start today, but I think it's great. I, I I think it's great that this this team that was a sad sack for for a long time. Now, what's interesting is when I was a when I was a big fan. So you're talking, let's say, you know, seventy to eighty. So I was, you know, I was uh, young, but I was let's say twelve through twenty-two. Orioles were solid. I mean, they were solid up and down. Man, they had great teams. They had great players. They, I mean, one year they had four twenty-game winners. Uh, pitching, they had great managing. They they hit, they did everything right, and they were always in the mix. They didn't always win the title, obviously, but they were a solid, solid franchise. And then to watch them just become these sad sacks, just these really, really bad teams, it, it hurts. And then I don't know, I I haven't followed them enough this year to know what the miraculous turnaround. But same thing with the Diamondbacks. I mean, the Diamondbacks, I'm pretty sure, lost over 100 games two years ago. And now they got together. So, you know, kind of getting back to our original premise of, of this podcast, the analytics aspect. I mean, you know, I don't know what it is, but 
it's interesting to know why Baltimore is doing it right and the Yankees who you know and the Mets who spend the most money are doing it wrong. And I think it gets back to my main point about all this, which is, you know, it's not numbers. It's it's not stuff like that. It's just <clears throat> very subtle things that sometimes it clicks and sometimes it doesn't. I was reading about the Diamondbacks and the Diamondbacks are either second or third in the in the bigs in stolen bases. They go from first to third. They do all these little things. They got a young catcher who I think is first in the league and throwing out runners. So all, all these little things that add up and sometimes sometimes it works. So I would I would not mind I, I actually I want the Dodgers to beat the Diamondbacks, but I won't mind seeing the the Orioles do well. <clears throat> and I really, really want the Phillies to lose because I think they're a bunch of uh I don't know what you call them, but they don't. They obviously don't get together in the regular season, and they they squeak in on the playoffs and they start playing hard. And everyone's like, "Oh my God, the Phillies are so great! They got Bryce Harper and blah blah blah." Speaking of Bryce Harper, do you think he's a Hall of Famer? No, I, you know, it's too early to tell. I think. I think he's. You know what's kind of funny? He is. This is going to be a weird comparison. He's Steve Garvey of today. Garvey wasn't flashy. Garvey wasn't, um, you know, rah-rah in your face. But Garvey was pretty boy. Everybody loved him. Bryce Harper is Steve Garvey, I think, from that perspective. See, I, I see it a little differently. <clears throat> I think Bryce Harper is incredibly talented. Garvey, I think, really wasn't that talented. He he was a gamer. He was a tough Tough individual. I mean, he couldn't throw at all. I mean, he he literally so couldn't throw the ball. Base. Well, also on on plays to first. So a man on first base, a guy bunts. Garvey gets the ball every time he cock his arm as if to go to second and toss the pitcher for one side. They'd always advance the runner. But he was a clutch hitter. He 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 like seems like seemed like willed himself into being a great player. Bryce Harper seems to me to have all the tools. He can hit, he can run, he can throw, he can do everything. But there's something about him that seems a little off. And and I, I guess I might be a little biased because since I read the Washington Post, I'm kind of a Washington Nationals fan. And I just don't understand why he left. I mean, they they offer a lot. He, you know, they the organization brought him up. They did his thing. I mean, yeah, I get Philadelphia may have offered him a little more money, but you know, how how many millions can he spend? But I, I just think that he's a really talented player, but I don't think Boris he's really client. put it together. What's that? Boris client, I think. Yeah. Anyways, I... Uh, but, I mean, I, you talk about Gamer, all those things that you just described of Garvey, those are true of of Harper. I mean, Harper was that guy, you know, people are asking him, why are you running into stuff trying to go for balls on a you know foul ball in game 35? Like, he was doing that. Like, he's he's... He's Garvey, but you're right. Garvey that can run, Garvey that can hit, Garvey that can, you know, play defense. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, if you would have asked me this question, so he and Trout, I think it's 2012 when they first came in, and you asked me between the two after the first few years, I was like, oh, you know, Harper's a all-star, Trout's clearly the Hall of Famer. It's kind of funny. In the second half of their respective careers, Trout's been injured a bunch, and Harper has been mashing. So I don't know. I, I'm not ready to. The book's not written on on Harper just yet. But you asked about the Baltimore Orioles. They're young. You know, they got lightning in a bottle. They got all these young guys that came up. They're actually producing. They're hitting. You know. I, I hope they win the World Series. I'd really like to see Baltimore just having been there and just to see the excitement <laughs> and the energy that the city has. And, you know, I asked everybody, the Uber drivers, you name it. I mean, this one Uber driver, he's rocking his, you know, he's got his Ravens jersey on. He's got his Ravens hat on. He's got Ravens sticker on his car. And I'm like, so <laughs> I go, you obviously like the Ravens. I go, well, what about the O's? And he goes, man, you know what? It's not that I don't like the O's, but we had nothing to like root for until now. And he goes, so I'm all in. He goes, this is great. And so it goes to show you that there's a whole generation or two generations of fans that basically have discarded the Orioles because they've been so bad for so long. And you have to have these old heads that are still, you know, true blue or true orange and black uh, fans. And they're bringing them back. And so I think it's it's great. 
And the, and if they don't win the World Series this year, I think the big thing is going to be, can these young guys continue? Is it just lightning in a bottle? I'm not sure. But, um, you know, when we talk about expansion, here's kind of some numbers for you. Because this is what was going on, and we've had a little bit of dearth when we started talking about baseball. So 62 was the Houston at the time, Colt 45s and the Mets. 65, or excuse me, 1961, I, I meant to go back one year. 1961, the Washington Senators moved to Minnesota. And you have the Los Angeles Angels. And you have a new Washington team that emerges. 62, the Houstons and Mets show up. 65, the Houstons get turned into the Astros and the Los Angeles Angels turn into the California Angels. 66, you've got the Milwaukee Braves move to Atlanta. 68, the Kansas City A's move to Oakland. 69 is the beginning of the division. So you have the Royals, the Pilots, the Les Expositions, and the San Diego Padres are all brand new. Four brand new teams, and you go to the East-West in both the American League and National League. 1970, the Pilots become the Brewers. 72, the now new version of the of the Washington Senators become the Rangers. 77, you have Seattle and Toronto are new. It is almost 20 years later where you have Colorado and Florida. 1994, so 93 is Colorado, Florida. 1994, you go to East, Central, and West for each division. 98, you have Arizona and Tampa Bay. And that is the last year of expansion in baseball. So you have not had expansion in baseball for over 25 years. Yeah, maybe maybe there's enough teams. So what's going to happen? Well, well, here's what I think is going to happen. Tampa Bay is going to move. I think that, you know, and the A's looks like are going to move. And then I think you might have two more expansion teams here in the next, you know, four or five years. I think baseball is having a resurgence. I think these rule changes have brought a lot of new fans in. And then because you've had some of these teams that haven't been very good, that are good this year, I think it's brought a lot of fans back that have been sitting on the sidelines. And uh, I think baseball is having a little bit of a renaissance right now. Well, baseball is great. I'm going to end my segment of this on a different note. And uh, I don't like being political, but Steve Garvey, when he was with the Dodgers, made a comment and he was talking about he wanted to go into politics. But he said, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 35 years old. So I probably need to start at the senatorial level in order to have any real clout. And you would have thought that he had had done the most heinous thing of all time. The papers blasted his arrogance. You know, no political experience, not city council, not mayor, nothing. Just, just I want to go right to U.S. Senate. And they just blasted him for for being an arrogant athlete who thought he could do it all and and he, it just the the press was uniformly bad and this was for a guy who was mr clean who pride himself on good press well you know 40 years later got the herschel walkers of the world i mean it's a spooky time when when these guys uh want to become senators I, I don't know why i thought that i think i think the today's events have just kind of twisted my mind a little bit but i am steve the other thing i want to say before i sign off is we have a lot of listeners, and we totally appreciate them. And I, I'm not good at the stats, but my man Jonathan is doing the stats. And when we get to 1,000, we're going to have a party. And if you're listening to us in Europe or Asia or Ventura, we'll keep you posted because we're going to tell you where the party is, and you're going to be invited. So that's all for me. How about you, Jonathan? Well, we've got playoffs for baseball. Like you said, the real playoffs start tonight. So that sounds pretty exciting. We are and my fantasy football teams are both, you know, right there in the mix doing really, really well. So football's going full force. Basketball's going to start up here pretty good. And then, of course, Immaculate Grid, the extra time show is every single day. And again, as I will just mirror what Steve said, we're charging to a thousand listens here very quickly. And we appreciate all of you share this with your friends. 
We are on Spotify. We are on Amazon. We are on Apple. So with that, I'll turn it over to you to lead us out there, Mr. Steve. Okay, I'll just say one last thing. Go Dodgers. And I, I know that bothers you, but since the Giants aren't even in the playoffs, <laughs> there's not really anyone to root for in California. So go Dodgers. Everybody have a really good afternoon, and we'll talk to you later. Ciao. Go Orioles.